This is Jason and Mark with Interman Radio. A free service to thinkers everywhere, demystifying the Bible by asking the questions your neighborhood pastor is afraid to answer. Hey, Mark, we're uh, we're in the illustrious Interman Radio studios here. And, we need a uh, name for this. We need a sponsor for the Interman Radio studios. Hey, and there's kids. There, there comes the lawnmower being rolled up to the garage door. <laughs> and... Uh, there, there it is. I don't know if the audience could hear that or not, but um, it does add some color to the pod, uh, having a lawnmower. It gives us a sense of authenticity, I think, uh-huh. of, of reality. People know that we're not detached in ivory towers. They can tell we're real folks. That's right. To deal with screaming neighbors and lawnmowers. Uh, Mark, what are we talking about anyway? Well, today we're talking about a continuation of the objections people have to Christianity. Lots of people have reasons why, in their view— Christianity just doesn't cut the mustard. Yeah. So, and in some cases, they're right. Last week, uh, we talked about how, uh, in many cases, Christianity has been used as a pretext, really as a, as a pretext for bad behavior. Yeah. And lots of people using the name of Christ have, have done so disingenuously and really hurt people because of that. Yeah, and there's a lot of examples throughout history of things being done in the name of Christianity. But if you really look at what Christianity truly is, and Christianity is defined by Christ, uh, then you'd have to step back and say, no, they were saying they were Christians doing these things, but they really weren't. Right. And then today we want to talk about, what about those people who claim to be Christians, but you'd never know? So some people use Christianity as a pretext to do wrong. Other people use Christianity... As a pretext to do nothing. 
here's a thought that has been um, eating at me for a little bit, and and that is, if you go throughout the the 20th century in America in particular, uh, say you you go through like the 40s, 50s, and up until maybe the 60s. Christianity, using air quotes, was was kind of the the dominant force of of societal thought. Sure, uh, the, and so and even those who would be against Christianity, they pushed back against that because they realized that that that, um, that most people considered themselves to be Christians, and and when everybody's a Christian and everybody just kind of assumes certain things, it really becomes more of a tradition, more of a lifestyle, and less of a faithful commitment to God. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. And so now culture has shifted. And so culture still has some idea, uh, some default setting of what they think Christianity ought to be. Yeah. But now I think we see the reverse, where Christianity is really being influenced more by culture, that the tide is going out instead of coming in. Yeah, the pressure seems to be on the person claiming to be the Christian. They don't let anybody else know because of pressure. Right. There's, uh, There's cultural bullying. And so Christians are less likely or less, uh, less prone to speak out or uh, discuss their religious views openly. Um, the idea that you can have your own faith, you just have to practice it privately. Yeah. It, uh, it shouldn't show up at the workplace. Yeah, that's it right. It shouldn't be at the ball game. It shouldn't be in—you know, it's not polite to talk about religion and politics uh, at, at dinner parties. And so— so the idea that faith has to be—it has to stay in its box. It has to stay in the corner. Um, it has to stay out of, uh, of politics, right? You can't have any kind of overlap between someone's religious views and their political views. Right. You need to keep the church and state separated. Yeah. And so you find a lot of people who, um, who have done that mental calculus, and they, they decide, you know, I want to be successful at work. I want— people to like me on Facebook. I want my kids to still talk to me at Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. You know, I, I want these, I want my neighbors to still come over for a barbecue. I want to get together with the guys and go fishing. Uh, so I either can do all of that or I can be outspoken as a Christian. Hmm. What am I going to choose? And I think that's a real calculus that goes on there. Absolutely. And for many people, the cost is just too great. Uh, it's just easier to be quiet today and not talk about my religious convictions, and that, of course, makes it that much more difficult to talk about them tomorrow. There are—I hate to, to, make, to paint with too broad a, a stroke here. Oh, do. Do. It's, it's, it's really fun. Boy, I, I don't know how many—you know, what percent, if we were going to try and, and stick a number on it, of denominations would say that, that they would hold to a literal interpretation of the Genesis account. Oh, very small. Yeah, it's 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 going to yeah. be minuscule. I mean, your 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 quote unquote mainstream Christian Christian denominations abandoned that back in the early twentieth century. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, yeah. And so what they've done, of course, is they've is they've in some cases hybridized their belief system. Um, generally, uh, most denominations don't take a strong stand; they just kind of leave it up to uh, their members to either find refuge in theistic evolution or a day-age theory or some other kind of crippling compromise Mm -hmm. that really denies the literal account of the Scriptures. But then at the same time, you know, they're going to claim that Jesus is Lord, and they're going to claim, you know, redemption, and they'll keep the doctrines that they like, but they're not going to stand up for the doctrines that are not convenient, that aren't politically expedient. 
Right. And what's interesting there, Mark, is that in the New Testament, there are over 100 references to Genesis from either uh, apostles or Jesus himself, either quoting from or alluding to uh, those things. So if Genesis is not true, then we really have no basis for Jesus being being true either. But but so so silent Christianity, by backing off of the creation account, has really cut ourselves off at the knees, don't you think? I do, and, and I, think, I think people outside of Christianity recognize that, especially when it comes to moral issues. When, uh, when, when what calls itself Christianity is unsure about what is or isn't sin, I don't know how somebody who is who's genuinely trying to figure this out, wow, that makes it hard for them. If um, if what the church said a generation ago was sin isn't sin now, right? I mean, if I'm if I'm looking at that from the outside, what do I make of that? Yeah. So whether it's gender, whether it's marriage, whether it's uh, abortion, any of those things uh, considered too hot to touch, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, you know, a lot of of churches now just won't address. For instance, uh, couples living together uh, before they're married, they, they just won't touch it because it's such a common occurrence in our society that to do so is going to compromise their position with a group of their demographic, and it's not worth the risk. Right, and and if a person is is listening to this and think, well, wait a minute, what what is wrong with a couple living together? Okay, well, we can, we can talk about that, but that's the whole point is that nobody talks about it. Exactly, right. exactly, because— to do so means somebody's going to be right, somebody's going to be wrong, and they won't agree on who that is. But generally speaking, that kind of cooperation or that fellowship is going to be broken. There's going to be issues. So with regard to, to morally, though, Mark, uh, the church giving up the high ground on that and, and becoming silent, Christians being silent on that, don't you think that kind of milk-toasty, spineless, quiet Christian is actually repulsive to a large swath of our, of our, uh, of our nation? Well, I think so. I, I mean, I don't understand how you could claim to be one and give up all those positions. I mean, if if we're going to say that Christianity is true, then it's true all the time. Mm-hmm. If if something is moral, it's moral all the time. Right. If it's right, if it's good, if it's wrong, those things they should be that way all the time. And Christians have an obligation to make that position known. They, they, those are not privately held. It's not my personal truth. Right. It's a truth that is universal. If Christians claim that, then they need to stand up for that. So when it comes to politics, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about, for the listening audience here, we're not talking about having a, a, a flag in the back of your pickup truck with a presidential candidate's name on it flying about. That's not what we're talking <laughs> right. about. When we talk about making a political stand, and not that I'm against that, but that's not the kind of stand we're talking about here, right? Right, right. We're talking about, I mean, so abortion is a political issue. Right. But it's not only a political issue, it's a moral issue. Um, you know, certain candidates have positions on moral issues mm-hmm. as a result of their own, you know, their own convictions. Um, they're going to vote a certain way. They're going to lead a certain way. Their policies are going to reflect that moral position. And, you know, there's an idea in culture that, that Christians, 
specific and churches in general have to be silent in the political arena or risk, uh, risk losing their tax-exempt status uh, because they've endorsed a candidate or because they've endorsed a, a policy or a bill or or in some if those things are true you can't separate those right but christians as a result have retreated from those things retreated from controversial issues and um they've been castrated man i mean they, they really have i mean it, that's a good word for it is is they're they've been made impotent yeah, it's Christianity that has no power and doesn't seek to have any influence. They're just they're just quietly resolved to being um, to holding their faith personally, but I think disingenuously because if Christianity is not in motion, if it's not affecting the people around us, it's not real Christianity. If the salt of the earth, Jesus said, has been made has you know been made no longer salty, it's good for nothing except for to be trampled on by men. That's right, yeah. and that's what they're doing. That's exactly what's happening. Is the world is just trampling on the faith of those whose faith does not stand up for itself. So, okay, milk toasty, spineless Christian, listening to this, what are we saying to do here? <laughs> well, if Mamby Pamby Christian, you know, wants to wants to pull, put their big boy pants on, if they really believed what they claim to believe, they'd have to act differently in regard, especially to the gospel message. How could we say that we are excited about being Christians? How could we claim? that we've been redeemed, that we've been sanctified, that we've been born again. And the rest of you guys, well, we're not too sure about you, but we're, we're, we're pretty confident that, uh, that, that you haven't. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't it cause them to act differently toward their neighbor if they really believe those things? And so that's really uh, as far as an objection that society would have towards Christianity is that people who claim to be Christians are either non-existent in their minds because they're just practicing their faith privately or they're existent but they're impotent and they're just they they don't care enough about me to really stand for their convictions that in a sense is kind of a warped christianity because it really isn't christianity but there's another obstacle here mark that kind of plays into that a little bit it, i think christianity or you know to use the term loosely has adopted the corporate model and so religion has become and this is not this is not uh, unique to our age, but religion has really become a, a business enterprise. We've just taken it to greater heights, perhaps. Uh, at least we've modeled Christianity mm -hmm. in our culture after the corporate model, and we use, we use things very much the same. It's not at all unlike what, uh, what the Catholic Church did in modeling its hierarchy and its system after the uh, uh, after the governmental system of Rome, there's one guy at the top. There's a few underneath him. You know, the Pope, Caesar, and and, and down we go. In uh, in our culture, at least, um, you know, if anything is worshipped, it's probably the Almighty Dollar. Mm -hmm. And so, what Christian or what uh, churches have done um, across Christendom is is they've adopted this kind of corporate model of religion where, you know, each congregation operates like a business. They have a, a board of directors, and maybe they call it the board of elders, or maybe they, you know, they have, they have some yeah. other name for it. Right. Uh, but generally, it's a steering committee uh -huh. that decides what's our, what's our policy going to be, 
Um, what's our pitch going to be? Who's our demographic? Right. Uh, where are we going to plant our new building? Right. Um, is it going to be in the old part of town, or is it going to go where the new homes are going up uh, sure. next to the you know two blocks away from the new school in the affluent uh, part of town? Um, you know, it's those guys yeah. who are who are calling the shots, and then they usually bring in. Uh, their version of the CEO, mm-hmm. which uh, which of course you know is generally called the pastor, and it's his job to make sure that their policy, their corporate policy, is is pitched out and to to in, to uh, uh, excite people, yeah, increase exactly. the stock price, yeah, you know, right, yeah, and yeah. so he hires a group of of middle management and uh, the Associate executive pastors. committee, exactly, yeah. right, yep. and uh, and then they go about the process of trying to uh, trying to raise the uh, the market footprint. Of uh, of whatever church that they that they're a part of, that's a real problem. Well, it, it's not only is it a real problem because it's not the biblical model, but it's a real problem because it's not how it's pitched to the audience. So if you go, if you were to go to the assembly, um, the the service of a typical church that follows that model. And when you're singing your songs and 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 the the uplighting is just right and the mood music's yeah, playing, yeah. everything's just right. The scene is set right and the production's going on, and it's all about Jesus and loving Jesus and and He loves you and we love you and we love Him and worship Jesus and it's all about Jesus. But but really, in truth, and and we know because we talk to people who were in this mix. It's not about Jesus. It's about growing the corporation. People who are who have a little bit of a skeptical bent to them, they see that. They see oh, right, right through, through it. it. Right the through only it. people who don't see through it are the gullible people who just <laughs> right. that you know who who want to be taken advantage of. I think. Yeah, who are just waving in the crowd. Yeah. with their cell phones lit. Yeah, um, repeating you know, the same line the, for twenty <laughs> minutes. But I digress. Amidst so. the smoke machine, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. <clears throat> that. People, people recognize right away when the biggest thing that they're pushing is the production rather than the message, then we've got a real issue. And as you said, people do. They see right through that stuff. They know when it's just about the money. Uh, speaking of the production, all right, so when we're talking about the, the production, that really uh, can contribute to a misunderstanding of what faith even is. Because um, I think we've talked about this before on an event that um, Christina and I went to with, uh, I think it would have been with a, a couple of our, I think it was just two of our kids. And um, we we were invited to go to this faith healing um, seminar on a Friday night. Ooh. And, um, you know, beings that we don't normally have cool things to do on Friday nights at our house <laughs> anyway, say, hey, why not? No, actually, we thought it'd be a good learning experience um, and, and see what happens. So, uh we we get to this thing and it was uh it was it was at a place called the Healing Rooms here in Spokane, which Ooh. is supposed to have some some magical or Holy Spirit power, <laughs> um, by uh-huh. um, because they were blessed by a guy in the early 20th century named John G. Lake and all that. You can look him up. But the the gal that was flown in for this particular night, her name was Cat Kerr, and um, and and Cat Cat Cat's vision uh was that that she had been to heaven and she had seen all these things about heaven. And so, so when we're, we're standing here and if it doesn't sound fantastical enough, 
Um, when we're in the audience and this Set gal comes out and she is, what's that? Set the stage. Yeah. So so we're there, and okay. um, this is after the promotion where, they're, where they tell us about the Garden of Eden um, botanicals and food line on the back tables <laughs> that you can buy. The <laughs> okay. Garden of Eden nutrition line that you nice. could purchase. Nice. And then there was somebody else hawking some CDs and stuff. So And then there was the, the you know, several references to um, donations made. But then, but then the music starts. And we, right. Everybody's getting Here worked we go. up, and and then there's then there's the the people are are have this fabric that they're flowing around. They're dancing mm. and everything. It's just a beautiful, lovely uh, swing to the lights and music and everything and all that. And and Cat comes out, and she tells the audience to take our brains out of our head and put it on the shelf. Ew. And that, that's, that's what she said. She said, I want you to take your brain and take it out of your head and put it on the shelf because what I'm going to tell you tonight doesn't make logical sense. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, if a person knew the scriptures at all, it did not make sense. Okay. Wow. So, but that was the idea was is that in order to have faith in what she was saying about her trips to heaven and seeing Elvis and, and all this, that in order to have to really understand faith, you really had to separate yourself from reason. And that was the pitch. And if you didn't separate yourself from reason, then you clearly didn't have faith and you weren't accepted. So that way, when you went up later on to in the healing line, you wouldn't be healed because you really didn't have faith either. So that mischaracterization <laughs> of what faith is has, is really a problem when it comes to Christianity being ineffective in society and for society's mockery of what is called Christianity. Yeah, and that's an extreme example, but it illustrates the point really well because most of you know most of the denominational world is just a little bit f- further down the spectrum from there. Not uh, quite as blatant or in your face about it. You mean right? Yeah, right. Because most of the appeal or most of the uh, of the of the emphasis for so many so many denominations is. On a uh, on an experienced mm-hmm. based faith rather than a reason based faith. Right. It's why it's why the song plays for ten minutes, guys. It's why when you're saying a prayer, when you're listening to a prayer being said, there's mood music in the background. It's all about the emotion and the experience. Yeah. Whereas Christianity really is unique in its appeal by reason. You know, several times in Acts 17. The scriptures talk about how Paul entered this city or that city, and he reasoned with them. He went, you know, and he tried to persuade them from the scriptures about Jesus. Um, you know, it's the, it was the message that meant the most. It wasn't the messenger. Paul was thankful that he didn't come in eloquent speech to the Corinthians. You know, that what he brought was Christ, and it was that message that really caught people. But it was a message that Paul recognized as true and then tried to help other people recognize through reason to, by you know, rationally trying to show evidence and, and counter-argument that this is something which is believable. He never asked them, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a good cry together. We're going to sit down right. and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, you know, feel something, and by that you're somehow going to know. Feeling always follows fact. Okay. So if I, I mean, going and talking to your financial advisor talks, you know, sounds long and boring, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. boy, yeah. And, and, until he starts describing what compound interest is. Then and it's what really that's, exciting. And what that's going to do for you in 20 years. Yes. Okay. Now, right. would you rather sit down and talk with your financial advisor who wants to jazz you up on feeling and emotion uh, or somebody who can sit down and show you the math? I mean, I'd much rather get excited about 
show me the math right than i would about how you know this cruise is going to really help you to put i don't care about show me the math right and, and people need to consider christianity in that sense you know show me the reasoned approach here why should i get excited about this the the experience is a poor substitute for the confidence that comes really having proven Christianity as true. Those who are are begging, give me something real to believe in. Yeah, show me what's true. They look at what's what's selling itself as Christianity with all this emotion and experience and gobbledygook, and they say, you guys are nuts. This is absolutely nuts. And they're right. They're all right. Why should I believe what you don't believe? I mean, if uh, you know, if I'm looking at, at someone's faith, right, and and they're claiming that they're saved, they're you know they're on the road to glory, great. But if they're not making any effort to help their friend, you know, to if they're not making any effort to make disciples, any any effort to share their faith, that really calls into question in my mind whether they believe that themselves. You know what else is nuts is for guys like us to be to be critical of Christianity, name all these problems that people right. would look at and say, hey, man, that, I can't believe in Christianity because of this, without making sure that we aren't the ones that are impotent, that make sure that, that we are affecting the world around us. We've got to take some personal responsibility here. I thought we could just sit behind the microphone and throw stones. Yeah. And say, you know what? Those guys really need to yeah. change. Yeah. Those guys, they need a podcast. No, you're absolutely right. When if if we're going to say that Christianity has to be has to be influencing the people around them in order to be legitimate, that's precisely what we have to do. We have to do that personally and as Christians in general, we have to take on that responsibility of living our faith as claimed so that people number 1 for our own sake, but also too for the sake of others looking from the outside so that they don't have the opportunity to object to Christ on the basis of Christians. We want to be genuine in what we believe, and we want to carry that out in a way that really does change the people around us, that affects people, and is a, is a legitimate demonstration of our faith. And we'll see you next time on Inner Man Radio. Yeah, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, you can be sure to never miss an episode by visiting innermanradio.org or get automatic notifications on your phone with the Innerman Radio app. It's available on Google Play or Apple Stores. <laughs>